0: Listener-supported, WNYC Studios.
1: It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning again, everyone. When we think of the AIDS epidemic... Often the faces we picture are those of white gay men, right? Although we now know that anyone can have HIV, children, women, people of color, the virus was at first portrayed largely as a plague that affected white men who had multiple sexual partners who were also usually white men. And this perception made those who got HIV through intravenous drug use heterosexual relations, birth, or even blood transfusions, relatively invisible. Visibility in this context is not just about media coverage or seeing yourself represented. When it comes to HIV and AIDS, being invisible rendered communities of people more susceptible to contracting the virus and unable to receive needed treatment invisible. Being invisible was effectively a death sentence. Today, the History Channel and WNYC Studios have launched the first episode of the latest season of the series Blind Spot. It's called The Plague in the Shadows, Stories from the Early Days of AIDS and the People Who Refused to Stay Out of Sight. Here's a preview.
0: AIDS was not just a medical crisis. It was, and it remains, a social disease, one that exploits the inequities that already define so much of American life.
2: We literally had to convince the federal government that there were women getting HIV.
0: In this series, you will hear from extraordinary people, priests and doctors and nurses and activists, people who were told to stay out of sight, to remain in the shadows of America's dawn, and who refused.
3: It was activists. We changed the world. I mean, stigma was high. I mean, stigma was so high that people were almost abused. They're people. They're not drug users. They're not patients. They're not hemophiliacs. They're people.
4: Yes, we are being victimized, but we are not victims. We're models of resistance. I remember one little boy said,
5: if I didn't have HIV, I wouldn't have met you guys.
1: (laughs) A montage of voices from the new season of Blind Spot, the series called Plague in the Shadows. We're going to hear some more clips as we go. As with us now are the host of this podcast, our own Kai Wright. You usually hear him on Notes from America, our live national call-in show, Sunday nights at 6 p.m. And he's here along with the lead reporter on the series, Lizzie Ratner from The Nation magazine. Hi, Kai. Hi, Lizzie. Hello. Hey, Brian. So, Kai, I'm sure a lot of people listening now consider AIDS at least at a certain level of of threat to life to be a threat from the past, and we've already had another pandemic since then. So why are you releasing a series about AIDS from the '80s in 2024?
0: Uh, well, I'd say two things are important, Brian. One is the simple fact that the AIDS epidemic is, in fact, not history. Our podcast is about that history, but we have to say from the beginning that while there has been lots and lots of progress on both prevention and treatment uh, of this, uh, in this epidemic, in the course of my lifetime and even in recent years, we've seen um, meaningful drops in new infections and meaningful drops in death rates. While all of that is true, uh, there remain 40 million people living with HIV in the world today. Um, we know that um, universal access to treatment for those forty million people is the secret to ending this epidemic, and we still don't have that. um and so and and the reason we don't have that is because of the medical not medical but social inequities uh that fueled the epidemic from its start uh around race around gender around uh poverty so that's one thing is that the epidemic is in fact a present tense thing Mm -hmm. but the second thing brian is that uh, you know in reporting this podcast, part of what is really clear to me is, you know, we today live in such overwhelming times, whether we're talking about the climate, we're talking about democracy, we're talking about war. We are all, many of us, I certainly am, so overwhelmed and just want to pull our covers up over our head. (laughs) And, you know, it just feels like we cannot engage with these things. And the history of this epidemic, particularly early on, is the history of individuals who were facing similarly overwhelming things and taught us ways to not put our heads under the covers to say, well, I'm going to lead with love. And through that love, I am going to figure out how how to, in fact, change the world. Um, And they did so. And so um, part of the reason of why now is there is so much to learn about how we engage the moment in which we live, from the people who engaged the early years of this epidemic.
1: So here's a clip from the first episode of the series featuring Valerie Jimenez, an HIV AIDS activist. She lives with HIV herself, describing the toll the virus took on her community on the Lower East Side in the 1980s. People just
3: started
4: like disappearing. Like one day they were there and the next day they were gone. These 20 people that used to hang out In this building, shooting up, they're all gone. You know, like car wash, Papo, Tirso, you know, cocoee. You know, like all these people, they're all gone. Like, where did they go?
1: So, Lizzie, since the series is called Blind Spot, or this is the latest uh, series within the overarching series Blind Spot, what would you say are the blind spots that people carried then with their understanding of HIV and AIDS?
2: Yeah, well, I think to understand that, it helps to set the scene just a little bit more. As you said, it was the early to mid 1980s. Valerie was living in Alphabet City, which was this, or which had been this tight knit working class Puerto Rican community. Until in the 70s and 80s, the economy crashed, and in its place was this new economy, this heroin economy. And, uh, and this crisis in the neighborhood of heroin. And so what's Va- what Valerie is describing is how people who used heroin in her neighborhood or had sex with people who used heroin began to get sick with this mysterious illness, which, of course, we now know is HIV. And what she goes on to say in the moments after that clip is that as many as 75 people died on her block alone. Mm. Now, I had been reporting the podcast for about six months when she told me this, and that number floored me, because as much as I knew about HIV and AIDS at that point, I still had this blind spot to some degree, um, this misunderstanding of how profound the AIDS epidemic and HIV epidemic was in the South Bronx, Harlem, parts of Brooklyn, and other communities of color around the country. So... What was the blind spot? Well, first, I think there was the blinding spot, which was this idea that HIV and AIDS was a gay man's disease. Now, to be really clear, that was not because there was this privilege attached to these men. This was because of rank homophobia at that time, like Ron DeSantis level homophobia hmm. or a lot worse, um, that just fixated on this idea that gay men were aberrant and were catching this deadly, awful, stigmatizing, and stigmatized disease as, as a result. And so, the idea that other people could get it, it just wasn't just wasn't on the table. But of course, other people were getting it. And who were these other people? Well, a lot of them were poor people, people of color. Some of them were drug users. And then, as as frankly now. You know, a lot of people just didn't care. Society wasn't particularly disturbed that this large group of people was getting sick and dying, that 75 people on one block alone on the Lower East Side were disappearing.
1: And there were the various means of transmission, which is why different groups of people uh, were getting it disproportionately, but multiple different groups of people, not just gay men or white gay men. So here's a clip representing some of the media coverage of HIV and AIDS one might have come across in those early days of the virus. The headline read, Rare Cancer Seen in 41 Homosexuals. Outbreak occurs among men in New York and California. Eight died inside two years. And then the story began. Doctors in New York and California have diagnosed among homosexual men 41 cases of a rare and often rapidly fatal form of cancer. So Kai, why were people so unaware or not talking about the broader risk HIV posed to all sorts of demographics originally?
0: You know, it's a combination of things. It's what Everything Lizzie just said in terms of, you know, the fact that, A, this really was, um, you know, the fact that gay men were the, the, the first place that science that science saw it was a blinding fact for our society because of the level of homophobia that exists and because of the racism that exists that dismissed the other populations who were getting it. But also there's just some fundamentals, right? Like there was a feedback loop, you know, and I think we've seen this with other epidemics. It was that where because the first reports were amongst gay men, um, then the first media reports were about gay men. And also like that's what doctors were looking for. Those are the populations on which doctors looked. Right. And so every time there was a new a new uh, public statement about this gay cancer It led doctors who saw gay men in places like New York and Los Angeles to say, oh, my goodness, I've seen that and report more cases of gay cancer. So it should be clear that in the data itself, the data said, you know, hey, this is a gay disease. And absolutely, it was and remains enormously uh, has just made just been terribly devastating to those of us uh, who identify as gay men. Um, But it made it. It fixated us on who was getting it rather than what was happening for mm. a really long time. And that fixation on who rather than what and how uh, locked in this perception of what this this epidemic was about and got in the way of, still gets in the way, of universal access to both prevention and treatment.
1: Kai Wright and Lizzie Ratner are with us as we talk about their new Um, series part of the Blind Spot series that looks back at blind spots during the early days of the AIDS epidemic we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to play one more clip uh, from the series and I'm almost embarrassed to say it's a clip of somebody that the series focuses on today and who was a guest on this show in 1990 (laughs) so stay with us Brian Lehrer on WNYC am on WNYC as we continue with Kai Wright and Lizzie Ratner, respectively host and lead reporter for the new History Channel and WNYC Studios um, podcast that's the latest season of Blind Spot. It's called The Plague in the Shadows, Stories from the Early Days of AIDS and the People Who Refused to Stay Out of Sight. And we can take a few phone calls here. I wonder if anybody listening right now um, is – you know, someone who recalls the early days of AIDS, particularly the 1980s, and maybe has a story to tell um, relevant to some of the groups who were undercovered and underrepresented and therefore undertreated uh, and underdiagnosed at that time. Two one two four three three, WNYC, if anyone has an early days of the HIV-AIDS epidemic story to tell relevant to the theme of the podcast, 212 wnyc 212 9692 Call or text. And one of the individuals that the series focuses on is Katrina Haslip. And uh, Kai and Lizzie, I'll, I'll let you talk about her after this clip, but I can't even believe you dug this up because here's <laughs> something she had to say. This is a 40-second clip. About the Centers for Disease Control definition of AIDS in a roundtable interview on this show in 1990.
3: I said no question when he said that you know the CDC definition is pathetic at best.
1: Uh huh. Tell us why? Why? What's what's the difference between real life and their definition, as you see? Well, it?
3: I'm personally affected by that because I feel that you know they have this rigid criteria of what is AIDS, you know, or their definition of what is AIDS, and none of which incorporates. Um, symptoms or illnesses of women, you know, mm-hmm, such right. as gynecological problems, and most women that develop AIDS are dying from cervical cancers and, right. you know, mm-hmm. all these other hosts of illnesses that are not yet on this, you mm-hmm. know, fine package list from CDC. So
1: they list uh, Kaposi sarcoma and right. PCP and things like that, mm-hmm. but not things that are particular to right. women. Right. Yeah, we did so many segments on AIDS (laughs) in the early days of the show. Brian, Uh, you
0: sound so young.
2: (laughs) I was going to say you sound just the same, but. um, Yeah,
1: Lizzie's right. Totally. Um, So who was Katrina Haslip and why did you focus this new series partly on her? Lizzie, you want to talk about her?
2: Yeah, um, proudly and gladly. Katrina was this incredibly charismatic, brilliant, and dedicated activist with this Um, kind of stunning story she um, she was born in Niagara Falls and she actually wound up incarcerated at a maximum security prison in upstate New York Bedford Hills correctional facility because she'd been a heroin user and a sex worker and she pulled a knife on a John and that got her arrested and uh, for reasons we know mass incarceration racism and all the like she winds up in a maximum security prison Um, And when she's there, it's the mid-1980s, and HIV is rampant in the prison. I mean, as much as, like, I think 20% of women coming into the prison at that point were HIV positive. Women were disappearing. There was all this fear. Um, And so this small group of women decided to start this, uh, really what became one of the first, maybe the first, AIDS counseling and education group for women in the country mind you this happens in a prison and it's Katrina it's this woman Awilda Gonzalez whom we interview it's also uh, Judy Clark and Kathy Boudin the activists who are part of the Weather Underground uh, and then did really important stuff in prison Um, and so when she gets out of prison uh, which she does Katrina does in about 1990 she decides that she's going to take all the knowledge and uh, energy that she uh, got in prison around advocating around HIV. By this point, I should say she knew that she was HIV positive. So she decided that she was going to take her voice that had grown so strong in prison out to the wider world and that she was going to speak up on behalf of people who are incarcerated with HIV, women with HIV, in particular women Uh, of color with HIV. And she chose to do this by joining a fight that was organized in part by ACT UP, the Women's Committee of ACT UP, I need to specify, to change the definition of AIDS. Um, Now, this gets a little bit wonky, so I'll try to make it quick. But basically, uh, to understand this fight, you need to understand that there's HIV, which is the virus that causes AIDS. And then there's AIDS, which is sort of the late stage of the virus when your immune system collapses and you get all these... Um, really intense opportunistic infections. And the problem was that the definition that the Centers for Disease Control came up with for what AIDS was, for what all those AIDS-defining opportunistic infections were, it left out these crucial illnesses mm, that just happened to be experienced by women, you know, people with female uh, anatomy or who who were born female at birth. Um, And so... Uh, gynecological problems, as Katrina mentions, you know, like uh, yeast infections, pelvic inflammatory disease, recurrent vaginitis, uh, cervical cancer, and also some particular types of tuberculosis and pneumonia that um, a lot of drug users were getting. And this meant a few things. It meant, first of all, that there were a lot of people who were getting AIDS, but didn't know it because their symptoms weren't you know, listed as AIDS. So they were just getting all these infections and they they didn't know what was going on. Um, But beyond that, um, an AIDS diagnosis, basically back in the day and and still now, will trigger um, a number of really crucial government benefits like disability benefits, housing benefits, um, sometimes Medicaid. And if you could not get an AIDS diagnosis, even if you had an HIV diagnosis, it meant that you were not eligible for things like disability Housing mm. vouchers, Medicaid. And so mm-hmm. you were literally, you know, there were people who were dying that were becoming homeless because they couldn't work because they were so sick and couldn't get benefits. They were dying. Um, you know, they were being denied benefits at the very moment they were dying. And so this was an absolutely crucial defining fight um, to change the I, definition of AIDS to include, to be inclusive, basically.
1: I want to get at least one caller with a memory in here. And we'll definitely tell people how they can listen to the whole series. Uh, Episode 1 just launched today. Dana in Queens with a memory. Dana, you're on WNYC. Thank you for calling in.
5: Well, I was a therapist for the first cohort of children uh, who were uh, orphaned by AIDS. And my second internship year at Postgraduate Center, I, I did encounter some of the, well, a few who are memorable to me and finding ways of helping them cope with the reality of what happened without shame and be able to help them consecrate their parents and, and you know, cherish them. Although the, the diagnosis was very shameful for them.
1: As a social worker, did you run into some of the obstacles uh, for those folks who you were working with, who you just described, and who Lizzie was talking about?
5: A paucity of programs. And understanding anything that would have been socially acceptable would have, would have made them feel that they belonged to the, the, the humanity of their cohort of their, their age group it wasn't there it was so terribly unique and uh, i guess internalized as shameful um that it was very good that they came to some therapy at the time and it was family work and also community work the school and the other you know access the sources they had access to all of those would burst, bolster their feeling of being parented, um, sports, for example. Uh, all that needed to be encouraged and given to them, um, and the loss was irrevocable.
1: Dana, thank you so much for sharing that memory. One more. Mary in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Mary.
4: Hello, Brian. Um, I was a medical intern in, at Bellevue in 1986 and had been a medical student. Um, from 84 to 86. And most of the patients that I treated at Bellevue at that time were not gay men, though I did treat gay men. But my first patient as an intern was a young woman from the Lower East Side, an IV drug abuser, who um, was desperately ill and subsequently died. Another patient that I remember really well was from Rikers, who's on the prison service that they have at Bellevue. And he had a strange something growing in his head. And I remember the surgeons, the brain, the neurosurgeons didn't want to operate on him because he had AIDS. And so we treated him for what we thought he had. It turned out to be completely wrong. And he had something totally different and he died subsequently. It was horrible. I spent my time fighting with Rikers to get the man to be unchained from his bed and to be released home because he was clearly gonna die. I mean, we were really dealing with everyone that had AIDS in those days, at Bellevue at least.
1: Mary, thank you very much. So Kai, as we start to run out of time, um, what were you thinking listening to either of those callers with their memories?
0: Well, it takes me back to the first thing we talked about in this conversation about why now are we have we bringing this up? And both of those stories are people who looked around in the immediate surroundings of themselves and said, somebody has to do something, somebody has to engage, um, and chose to do so. And, you know, the stories in this history and in this podcast, they include incredible things like Katrina Haslep changing things at the structural level, making change that can affect millions of people in one swoop. But they also, and I think equally important, include people like those two callers who said, right here in my community, in my family, in my church, in my job, somebody has to step up and I'm going to step up in this way. And I think those are the lessons that I am trying to hold in the times we live in right now.
1: I'm going to throw in one text message that came in uh, because it's so chilling and moving. It says, I began my career as a pediatrician at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. Working in the South Bronx, we were seeing many babies with symptoms that were similar to the, quote, plague that didn't yet have a name. We knew it was the same disease, but it took a very long time for the medical community to acknowledge that children could get it, too. There was no treatment. I saw too many babies die. The series from the History Channel and WNYC Studios is called The Plague in the Shadows. It's the latest season of Blind Spot. Kai, you just want to tell people how they can access it? Wherever you get your podcasts <laughs> <laughs> right now, uh, check us
0: out on any of your platforms and uh, stay tuned. We'll be doing a special about it uh, on Notes from America uh, in a few weeks.
1: Kai Wright, host and managing editor of Notes from America with Kai Wright our live national call-in show. If you like this show, you're going to like that show. Sunday nights at 6 o'clock here on the station. And Lizzie Ratner, deputy editor of The Nation magazine and the lead reporter on the series. Thank you both so much. Thank Thanks you. Thanks, Brian. Brian Lehrer and WNYC, more to come.